Hi, welcome to the Design Thinking Roundtable, a podcast which explores various aspects of design and how it can create change and social impact. I'm Andor Fayard, an ethnographer who researches, teaches, and practices human-centered design with a focus on social innovation and collaboration. And I love having conversations on design with passionate and mindful designers. Today I have the pleasure to be in conversation with Tanya Bandari. Tanya is a communication designer from India who has been working in the social impact space for over a decade. She currently leads the design team at Y Labs, Youth Development Labs, working on projects focusing on sexual and reproductive health and mental health for young people. Previously, Tanya was part of and leading the design team at UNICEF's Office of Innovation, building and scaling innovative products, emerging technologies and services for children and young people across the globe. Hello, Tanya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Design Thinking Roundtable. I'd like to start with a question about your experience, understanding you know, your background and how you went from being a design lead at UNICEF's Office of Innovation in New York, design fellow at the Center for Urban Pedagogy, also in New York, and then designer at Tech for India in Mumbai before, to your current role as design director at Y Labs in Kigali, Rwanda. Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, let me, so I can start with my journey. I uh, joined a, after my undergrad, which was in communication design, um, I joined a graduate program called Design for Social Innovation at the School of Visual Arts in New York. Um, and this program, I think, was the seed for all of the social impact work that I would start to do. And That was kind of always my passion with communication design as well, but the program really gave me the tools to um, action some of the some of the work that I had wanted to do. Um, from there, I sort of, you know, found this opportunity at UNICEF uh, in their Office of Innovation in New York, um, which was a very kind of emerging tech-focused uh, part of UNICEF. So. A little bit of a startup inside UNICEF, which was um, using a lot of design, using a lot of data to fail fast, test things um, in different contexts, um, and then if they work, to scale them. Um, so at UNICEF, I was there for uh, about five years. I started as a design fellow and um, ended up moving through uh, through the org uh, and ended up leading the design team there, um, making sure that we were hiring. The right designers um, to do the to do that work. Um, during this time, I also, you know, was interested in in doing some work in New York um, as I was living there. A lot of the work at UNICEF was all of the work at UNICEF actually was not based in New York. Um, and I found the Center for Urban Pedagogy where they offer fellowships to um, designers every year. Um, and at the Center for Pe Urban Pedagogy, I applied for the Public uh, Public Access Design Fellowship, which means, which is a uh, an annual fellowship, which they um, pair a designer with um, uh, community uh, leaders um, to work on specific projects. Um, and there, I ended up working on um, uh, a project around immigration um, and supporting people, spe specifically Spanish-speaking 
um, people in how they can approach the process of even starting to look at how to get a green card. Um, from there, I uh, I moved to California um, and I had been chit-chatting with Rebecca Hope, who's the CEO of Y-Labs for a few years at that point. Um, and we ended up talking for talking for a while and I told her, look, I'm finally in California. How do we make this happen? And she was like, we would just love to have you um, on our team. So went through a little bit of an interview process and ended up working um, in the Berkeley office uh, of Y Labs, which is Youth Development Labs, for a couple of years um, before I decided that I wanted to be closer to the work that we were doing um, and move to our office in Kigali in Rwanda. Um, and currently in Kigali, I'm the design director at Y Labs, um, uh, which means I do everything from org strategy to hiring designers to uh, leading projects to doing still some of the comms design work like illustration or branding. Um, so it's really like a very diverse role. And I really like how, you know, you kind of uh, went each time, even with, with a project with the uh, immigrants in, in New York and then now deciding to go to uh, Rwanda. It's also always going back to the field and getting closer to, to the beneficiary, which I think is is uh, really uh, inspiring. And, and that leads me to um, my first uh, question, which is really around the role of uh, co-design or participatory design, which, you know, is is becoming uh, in the general, in the social sector and international development, a big theme, designing, uh, moving from designing for to designing with. Uh, we've recently also some calls among designer and social activists that we need to be aware more of the existing power dynamics. So I'm curious to have your perspective on how can we truly co-create? What are the practices or the challenges that we can be aware of? Knowing that, you know, looking at all the projects you've been involved with, uh, you've always been uh, very keen to bring in the, the beneficiary in the process. Sure. Thanks for that question. Um, I think co-design or participatory design is something that I started to look at more and more while at UNICEF and then transitioning into Y Labs, where we really, really believe in the power of young people being in charge of their own uh, in charge of designing products and services that benefit them rather than me, an old person um, who is designing for someone who is 15. Um, and so that's really where this this ethos of like co-design comes comes from at Y Labs at least. Um, what co-design looks like or co-creation looks like at Y Labs is that we have young people leading the process of co-design, which means we are just creating a structure of um, what a workshop may look like, but young people are actually in the workshop coming up with all of the ideas. And a lot of these ideas we end up taking forward. Um, and there's various levels of engagement that young people have, right? So on our teams, firstly, we hire young people as youth designers or as permanent staff members. Uh, secondly, young people in who are participating in co-design who are uh, really the ones that are coming up with the ideas and refining them. Um, and thirdly, young people as participants of our interviews um, where we, uh, we're we are starting to glean more kind of like insights from them than that, 
that then inform the co-design process. Um, for all of these engagements with young people, we also make sure that they are compensated for their time, uh, which is really, really important because they're offering us their expertise. So they should be paid like everyone else. Um, I think an example I can bring up of various levels of co-design is uh, the project Tegura Jaheza, uh, which uh, we worked on in 2021, 22 um, in Kigali. Tegura uh, Jaheza means prepare for a better tomorrow in Kenya, Rwanda, um, and is really meant to be a uh, youth-driven mental health platform um, that supports young people in self-learning, in um, connecting to resources. Um, and this is this has been, uh, I think, one of the one of my first big projects in Rwanda. So that was also very exciting for me, uh, working with um, a lot of young Rwandans um, to be able to uh, just be the guide in the process and not necessarily be the designer in the process um, was really, really great. So in this project, the co-design that we uh and the approach that we took to co-design was um, multi-level, which means, um, you know, in the design thinking process, you have your primary research, you have your secondary research, you have prototyping, etc. So during our primary and secondary research phases, we did these really broad co-design workshops where we had very, very open statements around, you know, what do you need to be able to um, approach your mental health or learn about your mental health or have your family and community understand what mental health is and why is it important. So we kept those the the initial questions very broad and we did a few co-design workshops around that uh young people in groups came up with various ideas um and then when we went into our prototyping phases we actually prototyped those ideas that young people came up with in the first round uh we then took those prototypes we tested them we gleaned all these insights uh we narrowed them down to a couple of different prototypes that were uh, reaching kind of like critical mass of approval from young people. Uh, we refined them and we took them into another co-design workshop where young people were starting to refine specific parts. So for example, in this case, it's a digital platform um, where we may have a um, doctor persona, a therapist persona who is talking about mental health. We took that and we decided that this really specific persona is what needs to be built out by young people now. So what are the qualities that you are looking for in this person who is giving you advice on your mental health? Um, so that's really how we continue to refine like little bits and pieces of the end product and service that we design um, by having young people leading parts of it, making sure they're inputting in parts of it, making sure that they're approving parts of it, um, just making sure that they're they're involved in every stage. The While this was a digital platform, we also had an offline um, component to this called the Wellness Warriors, um, who at the youth centers, which is where we, um, where we implemented this project, um, are, you know, leaders or are young people who are very interested in making sure their community's mental health is taken care of, 
um, who were the ones who were actually leading this whole program of Pegura So we trained them, we provided them with all these safeguarding techniques and tips. Uh, they had mentors at the youth centers, adult mentors at the youth centers who were helping them out. They had um, connection to services. Um, and they were really the ones who led the project for six months without us being there. We were just going in and making sure, okay, is everything okay? And then we would step back out and have young people be the ones who are leading the process. Um, and all of these different bots were all co-designed by um, by the young people themselves. Okay, I, I mean, I really like the multi-level. And in fact, I was going to ask you about the, the physical part, because I think also what I, I thought really interesting in this uh, program is the fact that you have a, the digital, but also the the ability for them to then go and get the support uh, physical, which is, was it something that came out from the, the co-design workshop, the idea that they wanted both the digital that allows them, I guess, to be more private at the beginning and to kind of search without asking for help and then uh, being able to then go into the, the physical world? Or was it like already an assumption that you thought that it would be nice to have the two because you were working with this health center? So uh, we were working in youth centers, which are these places where young people convene to uh, take part in different types of clubs, like dancing or, you know, art. Um, and in the uh, youth centers, they already have this kind of like club system, um, and these exist around Rwanda. Um, and so this came out of our primary research, the design research that we did, where young people were just like, this already exists. And this is a really comfortable way for us to like looking at our peers who are able to talk about mental health is a really comfortable way for us to be talking about our mental health because it's considered to be a taboo or it's considered to be not real till it's manifesting in a physical way. Um, and so having those kind of like peer educators, peer support uh, was really important for young people to be able to start opening up. So all of all of what we tested came from young people themselves. I'd be curious to see how it can inform, you know, projects in other parts of the world, because this is like a, such an important issue. And I think that the, the way you designed it with uh, with both uh, aspects is, is really uh, useful. Um, so you've been talking a lot about, you know, both the research and the prototyping and you kind of move from one to another and refine your prototype. So I was wondering, based on, on my research and my work with design projects, oftentimes uh, people tend to be worried about the, the prototyping phase as being you know, too resource demanding, it's especially in environments with constraints like the ones you worked in, where, you know, prototyping sometimes seems like to be a, a know something that is going to take too much time or so I, i'm curious to know what are the projects or, or how for you prototyping maybe becomes a form of research and I, i mean you started answering that question with this this previous project but i think for me what i've seen when prototyping becomes really useful is when it's it's like a, a fluid you know from research to prototyping rather than like we're doing research and then we're doing prototyping but uh, i'm curious to have your thoughts uh, on that process and how you know maybe also your your use of prototyping evolved as you've been in working more and more on these projects i think my belief has really shifted a lot in prototyping as a form of research rather than just like seeing it as a separate phase of work. Um, and that really comes from testing things early and testing them dirty and not, you know, having, you don't need even like mid fidelity prototypes to be able to uh, test something in a very quick way. So something that we've started to do is, uh, 
or not trying to do, we've been doing for a while, um, is to really bring in sacrificial concepts in our um, early research. So when we start design research and we're doing an in-depth interview or focus group uh, discussion with young people, uh, we may start showing them concepts as early as then, which is like the first conversation. Um, and those concepts we we come up with from the the desk research that we've done, um, we make them very quickly. They may just be sketches. They may just be ideas. It may just be a voice note for something. Um, but it's something, and it's something for young people to react to. And it really gives us a lot of direction as we move through our different prototyping phases. Um, I think just to give you an example of various ways of prototyping in resource-constrained environments, um, we uh, worked on this project Cocoon with the donor Elra, um, and Cocoon was really creating safe spaces for menstruation management in humanitarian settings. Um, and in this particular case, it was in um, uh, northern Uganda in the Biribiri refugee settlement. Uh, unfortunately, this project kicked off in March 2020, which meant that it was also right in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and we had to pivot a lot the way that we were working. Um, I ended up doing all of the work that I could remotely. And then we had a team who was in Uganda who was just like traveling back and forth to this refugee settlement, which was eight hours away. Um, you know, so there, there was just, I think, when you talk about resource constraint and just in general kind of like constraints of logistics, um, I think this was the project that was one of the hardest projects for us. Um, so in this case, we are we were testing a few different things. Um, we were testing um, education. Uh, we were testing infrastructure. We were testing um uh, kind of like knowledge, or, or not knowledge, sorry, um, empowerment around like making sure that people have the tools and resources they need to actually manage menstruation. Um, and so we, you know, we, especially for testing infrastructure and especially for testing business models, we couldn't set that up already. Like we couldn't build a thing as a prototype right in the beginning. And so some of the things that we did were to, uh, create storyboards or to create um, even um, like mock, mock radio shows, um, uh, which were really, really quick and dirty for us to do. But it really gave the young people and the um, women that we were speaking to something to react to. Um, and that was really important because, you know, they it was really difficult for them to imagine all of these different ideas around okay, we may be able to have this social enterprise where the women in the refugee settlement are making these pads and, you know, uh, someone is buying them from them um, or there will be this infrastructure. So by creating a cardboard little like cutout um, of, an, of a space, we were able to at least point out like, look, here is where this bathroom will be. Here is where the resources will be kept. Here is like the locks and the lights and all these things which are really important. Um, so our prototyping really looked quite rough. Um, and we started doing this during the research phase. So as we were conducting research, we were also showing them like, look, here are like a few different things. Um, 
what are your react what are your initial reactions to this or how would you change this so you're altering a little bit of co-design or co-creation over there uh by showing them a space or by showing them um you know a storyboard of a uh storytelling session that happens um and really asking them um what works what doesn't work why would this not work um things like that uh and then as we progressed i think we we started to build higher and higher fidelity prototypes still we reached the stage where we were using materials from the settlement itself hiring carpenters from the settlement itself to actually build these infrastructures that we would then test for 6 months um in our sort of like pilot phase i, I really like the the, the notion of uh, sacrificial um, prototypes or concepts and uh listening to you it seems that like you know prototypes then become really more of a, a tool for collaboration and a translation tool so so i was as i was listening to you uh you know talking about these two projects but also reading uh, about other projects you've been working on it seems that you know nearly all of them are done in partnership with a local organization or with a, a sponsor and uh, i think it you know it highlights the recognition uh you know across both uh, practitioner and academics that with complex social and environmental issues we need collaboration between multiple stakeholders uh but we also know that these collaborations are really complex so i'd like to have your your perspective on on collaboration and probably also what what's the role of a designer in this process uh you know probably as a facilitator between various groups stakeholders communities included but uh, i'm curious to know also if you feel like maybe there's been a you know you talked about this evolution about your your perception of of prototyping has your role uh, or your exper- experience as a designer has also evolved as you're getting more involved in these kind of complex collaborations i think that's a great question it's making me think a lot about how i perceive what collaboration and uh, complexity and partnership looks like um I think as a designer there's two roles that I see for myself one is a sense maker and one is a facilitator um and so in the sense making part of it making sure that I'm able to see like all of the all of the complex ecosystem and really pull out the elements that sense for us to be focusing on prioritize things and then bring that uh narrative to partnerships and collaborations because if you come in with clear uh a clear vision that's at least like helpful a helpful place to start at um in terms of facilitation i think it's really important to you know be really balanced be able to hear what the other person is saying um while also pushing back and like bringing in your expertise because i think you're right like you know in these settings often partnerships become complicated um and so i think there needs to be just a healthy balance of how you approach the project versus how your partner may be approaching the project um and is there a way at the beginning that everyone can get on the same page um so that's why we have kind of um kick off meetings with our partners or our donors right at the beginning um to really establish ways of working and we make sure that we check in throughout the periods of time to uh ensure that those collaborations are still going okay um i think working with 
partners on the ground um for me you know like i'm from india i have lived in the us i am now living in rwanda N- most of these most of the contacts that i have worked on are not my contacts i am not from these places and so it's really important that we have people on the team who have who are from those places so for example we're doing a project in Tanzania right now and we have a full team that we've hired over there so while i'm still guiding a project like that um all of the work and all of the partnerships are being done by people who are uh Tanzanian who understand how the systems work who understand how to speak with people um because it's really really important that we are not coming up and taking we're not not coming in like flying in and taking up space that belongs to someone else who has way more experience than we do um i'm at the level that i'm at in my career i'm available to like provide guidance and provide like tips and tricks on like how to navigate a complex uh complex issue or project or partnership um but i think having other people take charge of the the actual day to day work and the interactions is really really important um so that's kind of how i started moving my perception more towards what like a shared approach to partnership might look like super interesting so i have two kind of follow up question cuz i've been supporting advising a number of projects where uh you have a team like yours that is going to hire a local team but with the same intent but sometimes also there are frictions coming up and like things that you know might be lost in translation and uh you know we've been discussing with some of these teams also of a feeling of like are we imposing our techniques to others you know sponsors asking for a local team to be engaged but then also wanting to have the whatever are the, their view of what is good work to be implemented and there's like a lot to to be lost in in translation there so i'm curious if you know how are you navigating this kind of um back and forth you know in theory it makes sense to have a local team uh involved but then we're also still asking them to follow a certain project that is not necessarily so are you involving them also in the original kickoff meeting for example with the sponsors or are you having this conversation with the sponsors sometimes that you know maybe the local team will tell you like this is not working and then convincing the sponsor that maybe what was the original intent has to be iterated yeah i think i mean one we don't like see the teams as like local team and wild labs team i think we see it as like a full team um like a project team that's working on something we may be based in different places but it's the same team um i will i think one of the i think that we try to guide all of our work at wild labs through the lens of what young people want and what the research is showing and so we will push back if young people are saying for example a donor says we want to create a digital platform for x uh, and young people say we don't want this to be digital because we don't feel comfortable with this being digital um what are some ways that we can push back where we're saying this type of digital does not work but does digital work with an like an could we do an online offline component could we do low tech so it's still digital we're not making the like fancy smartphone app um but we're using what exists like ussd um and pairing that with the offline component of having these you know youth leaders or peer educators um and could we use that 
instead of what we originally um originally kind of set out to do so i think that there's like there's always room to push back as long as you have something backing it and you know if if at y labs as as at some of the other places that i've worked at you know people are coming to work with us because we have the expertise of how to work with young people and we have young people on our teams um who have been trained to do this work um and so you know if they're coming to us and if they're not necessarily like interested in what young people have to say then i think that's a different problem um so we try our best to be you know like diplomatic and make sure that we are presenting our case uh forward with ample data to be able to back what we're saying uh and hopefully that's enough for um people to say okay yes maybe we should be making a change um in the way that we're thinking about this i just uh, want to to highlight this point that the young people as the lens or the anchor point for any of your project, which I think leads to um, a question that I had for you, but I think you you just answer it, which is really as design is currently becoming a you know a practice uh, a go to practice in international development and the social impact sector, the question of how are we sure that we put the beneficiary at the center of the development process? And I think, uh, you know, it's like just putting it at the beginning and then going back to it and claiming it back uh, at each level of a, of a process, both when you do your co-creation workshop, but also when you talk with a sponsor. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm talking about young people because I work at Y Labs, um, but this applies to all beneficiaries that you work with, right? I I think that the, there's a mindset shift that would be required um, from a lot of design practitioners to be able to change the power dynamics that they're bringing into the situation. So there needs to be a moment, a little bit of like, almost like a humbling of designers, which is, you know, we don't know everything, Um We're not saving the world with the work that we're doing. We're just making small dents. And that should be enough for like a design practitioner in the social impact world to continue with the work and to kind of put their ego aside and really let decisions be driven by young people or whoever the audience uh, of focus may be. And I think that that's really difficult for a lot of people because if you study design, if you've worked in design for many, many years, it's kind of like, I am the expert in this thing. So like, I should be the one who is making these decisions. Um, but that's not true because you're not designing for yourself. Um, and so, and it's taken me years and years to kind of like grow out of that mentality of like, I am the designer and I know what's best or I know what's right because this is the skill set that I have. Um, but the more I work with, Uh, our audiences of focus, the more I can um, see that it's important, it's the most important to have them in all of the rooms, uh, right from the beginning, right from like your problem statement creation, like, is this even the right problem um, to be solving in this moment? Thank you so much. I think that that's a great way to finish by a call for humility. And uh, and I think that our conversation and your journey, it's it's really thinking about the, the designer as, a, as you say, the sense maker, a facilitator, that uh, both make things visible, give voice, uh, but then also knows uh, how to step back. Uh, and that's uh, something that... I think any any one of us as human beings needs to learn uh, if we want to to collaborate. So, uh, thank you so much for these uh, super uh, insightful uh, thoughts and sharing all these great projects. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this podcast. 
Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Roundtable, produced by the Desis Lab and Era Chair in Social Innovation at Nova SBE, in partnership with the Design Lab at NYU Makerspace. This episode has been recorded and produced in the Fidelidad Creative Studio at Nova SBE. If you think this episode might be of interest to someone in your community, feel free to share it. Thank you.